0: The Last uh, couple of Christmases, Noni and I have started the custom of... We live in Jackson and we started the custom of going over to Grand Rapids where Meyer Garden has their Christmas Around the World display. Um, It's a pretty markable display. You walk down their main concourse and they have um, Christmas trees as they are decorated in countries all around the globe and a brief description... Uh, of what it represents, what the symbols represent, why they do it that way, and uh, last the Christmas before this one, we were over there, and as we went through, we saw a sign that said at a certain time in a certain room, they were going to show a video of how different ethnic traditions in the Grand Rapids area celebrate Christmas, so we thought that would be interesting, and when the, when the time came for that, we made our way over to, the, over to the room. And as we started to go in, a group of about eight or ten but, but really big guys in their 20s and 30s came walking up. And um, they were apparently a part of some kind of an adult special education group. And um, as they got... To the doorway, Noni had already started to step in ahead of me, and one of them just kind of brushed her back, and they continued like they were gonna go in, and there was a woman with them who was evidently their teacher or perhaps social worker, I don't know. And when she saw the guys do that, she yelled out, Guys, guys, stop, and let the tiny little old people go first. <laughs> I I know. I looked at Noni. I said, "Did you hear what she said?" And Noni said, "Well." <laughs> so so there we were. I don't I don't remember what was in the video, but I. <laughs> it, and it is good to be here at the start of your 21 days of prayer. If if we have done and can do anything to facilitate participation in that, and prayer beyond that. Uh, we're delighted to be a part of it. Uh, I want to I do a little review uh, of what we have looked at. For those of you who have been here, this is a review for you. And then those of you for haven't, it'll give you a glimpse of uh, some of what we have been been done, uh, what we have been doing. If you could could put the, yep, there it is. Um, Friday night, we looked at enlistment. This, this was basic training for prayer warriors, and uh, we talked about, I shared uh, five reasons why I believe in prayer. I believe in prayer because God invented it, because Jesus practiced it, because Scripture teaches it, because experience confirms it, and because tomorrow demands it. And then the first session Saturday morning, part two, is deployment, Uh, We talked about the army that marches on its knees, and that's the church. Uh, In the church, if prayer is to mean anything at all, we must see it as essential, foundational, and intentional. And probably the most single significant teaching of the whole weekend is that we must see prayer as essential essential important is good but important is important you can still take it or leave it essential means there are some things that will not happen without it there are some things God wants to do and if we don't pray they won't happen he he can do them he wants to do them but uh, in in his sovereign will he wants us to ask for them first so prayer is essential So miss that, and we miss everything. And then in the second session yesterday morning, embattlement, we looked at God's SWAT team, which is a spiritual warfare attack team. We did some spiritual warfare during that time, but we talked about the fact that in spiritual warfare, you put on armor, you raise up hedges, and you tear down walls, strongholds uh, need to come down. The armor is from Ephesians 6. We planted a hedge of protection around a couple of people. And um, I want to mention, for those of you who are here for that, one thing I neglected to say uh, at, the, at the end of that time is, remember, I, I talked about how once a hedge is planted, your your job isn't done. You have to continue to cult and water va- oh water and cultivate it just like you would a hedge at home or in your yard. And so those of you that were here and know who we planted the hedge around, that's that's a part of your job. I will continue to pray for them. I have them written down in my prayer journal, but you need to do that too. So you, and, and there's stuff in the field manual about how you do that. So please continue and then check with them uh, and see how, how things are going. This morning, we're going to look at boots on the ground. We've been talking about prayer, teaching about prayer, and this is a message uh, intended to just to really, and we've been doing some prayer, but this is a message to really get us into praying about some significant things in our lives. Uh, Now, my wife, Noni, has been sharing at the start of each time before I speak, she has been uh, sharing a scripture that goes along with the theme of the message. Noni memorizes a lot of scripture, and so she's going to do a scripture recitation uh, for us at this time. So why don't you come on up?
1: These scriptures are all from the New Living Translation, both the Old and the New Testament, and these are reminders you that you can trust God with your prayers and your cares because He loves you. Hear the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 33, 26, 27 and 29. There is no one like the God of Israel, He rides across the heavens to help you across the skies in majestic splendor. The eternal God is your refuge, and his everlasting arms are under you. He is your protective shield and triumphant sword. Psalm 68, 19 and 20. Praise the Lord. Praise God our Savior for each day he carries us in his arms. First Peter 5, 7. <coughs> Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Psalm 31, 14, 15, and 16. I am trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. Let your favor shine on your servant. And in your unfailing love, rescue me. Concluding with the very words of Jesus, to your hearts and minds, as recorded in Matthew ten, twenty nine to 31. What's the price of two sparrows? A copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You, yes, you are more valuable to God than
0: a whole flock of sparrows. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, troops, let's open our Bibles, minds, and hearts to 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. In the Old Testament, the fourth chapter of 2 Kings. And how about you stand with me out of reverence and respect for the reading of God's word. Here it is, 2 Kings 4, beginning with the first verse. One of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, has died. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor is coming to take my two children as his slaves. Elisha asked her, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go and borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Do not get just a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all these containers. Set the full ones to one side. So she left. After she had shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing her containers and she kept pouring. When they were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There aren't any more. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. Lord of heaven's armies, master and commander of your church and our souls, I hold here in my hand the Holy Bible. our field manual for strategy and victory on the battlefields of life. Please speak to us now as we look at it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. As I maneuvered my car down the highway, my left hand gripped the steering wheel, my right hand fiddled, fussed, and fumbled with the radio. I popped seek a couple more times, and and there, I had it, just in time. My favorite radio preacher was just beginning his sermon. Since becoming a believer in Christ, he said, I've had a two-bit prayer life, and nothing has troubled me more, and yet I have every reason, perhaps just like you, not to have a two-bit prayer life. Two-bit, he said. Two bits, an old expression for a quarter. 25 cents, meaning not worth much, paltry, puny, pathetic, pitiful. I had to admit he had a point because I could quickly call to mind demonstrations and illustrations of the hand of God reaching into a person's life in response to the prayer of faith to minister to them in answer to that prayer. So... So why should any believer settle for a two-bit prayer life when all the reserves, resources, and riches of a great and gracious God are available to them? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) ponder the power and potential of prayer, and you can't help but agree there's just no reason in this whole wide world to settle for a two-bit prayer life an anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer life. Why be a care worrier when you can be a prayer warrior? Uh, Well, I think the scripture we study of a miracle for mom might just be able to help us power up our prayer lives. After all, you're only as strong as your prayer life. Our story takes place around 850 B.C., It's about a widow whose husband had been a prophet, a preacher, indeed an assistant to the prophet Elisha. Now her husband lived a goodly, godly life, serving the Lord and sharing his love. But now her husband is dead, and she is in debt, and debts so large they simply cannot be paid. So both her boys are to be taken as slaves in payment for her husband's debts. The creditor is coming like a predator to take her boys away. She's in a battle for the lives of her sons. She's fighting for her family. So she goes to Elisha, verse 1, and tells him her husband is dead. Elisha, you remember me, don't you? Remember my husband? He was a man devoted to God and good. He worked for you and with you. He lived, loved, and labored for the Lord Worshipped, worked, and witnessed at your side. He feared, that is, revered the Lord, she tells him, using a common expression back then not only to attest to her husband's spiritual faith, but she is also saying he was a man of integrity and responsibility. He wasn't a spendthrift. He didn't run up a large charge on his visa or Palestinian express card. He used good stewardship of everything God gave him. But we didn't have much to begin with, and now he's left me with debts I cannot pay. And the creditor's coming to take my sons. Tell me, what do you have in your house? Asks Elisha. And she responds, nothing at all. Uh, Well, except... A little, a little jar of oil. Now, I'm just, I'm just guessing here, but this is where I think of. There's a miracle within the miracle. When he asks her what does she have in her house, you know, she says, nothing. And then I can just see the Holy Spirit whispering, don't forget the jar of oil. And, and she says, oh, nothing. Ah, except there is this jar of oil. Now, some scholars say this was simply an oil used after bathing, in which case it would have been of no value. Others say it was oil used for cooking lamps and, and, uh, or for cooking food, excuse me, and lighting lamps, which would have been of some value. Still others say it was an oil used in anointing. Now that would have been of more value, but still one jar of this stuff was not sufficient to pay off her debts, whatever the kind of oil. Yeah, unless, of course, it was Arab oil. (laughs) Anyway, so Elisha says to her, here's what I want you to do. Go up and down the street and borrow every empty container you can from your neighbors. And the Old Testament Hebrew word for container here or vessel or jar means anything that will hold something. In other words, the prophet's telling her, get all the jugs, jars, bowls, pitchers, cups, containers, pots, and pans you can lay your hands on. And then I want you and your two sons to shut yourself in a room and start pouring from your one little jar of oil into all those other containers and fill them up. So you will have oil to sell to make money to pay off your debts. So they go and borrow all the... Jugs, jars, bowls, pitchers, cups, containers, pots, and pans. They can get their hands on everything that will hold something. Then the two boys shut themselves in a room with their mother and start pouring oil from their one little jar. And as they pour, the oil flows. And, and all the jugs, jars, bowls, pitchers, cups, containers, pots, and pans are filled, all of them to the brim from that one little old jar. I mean, you've got to picture that. There's a lot of oil filling a lot of stuff from one jar. I mean, they fill this one, and this one, up to the top, and this one, and this one, ooh, this guy here, and this one, and this one, and on and on. I can just see one of her sons saying, hey, Mom, where's all that oil coming from? Whoops. And, and, and hey, next time you... Don't you wish you had this the next time you have to fill your car's gas tank? <laughs> we we have these for sale at the resource. <laughs> and when this dear woman comes to the last jar, she says, "My son, get me another one." But, "Mom, that that's all that's all there are. There there aren't any more jars." And only at that point, it says, does the oil stop flowing. There's not one drop left. Why, if the son's reply had been, Say, Mom, I know where I can get another 100 jugs, jars, bowls, pitchers, cups, containers, pots, and pans, the oil would have continued to flow. And it would only have stopped flowing when the last of the additional 100 were completely filled. I mean, in verse 3, the prophet says, get the jars, but don't get just a few. And then in verse 6, it says, when the last one was filled, then the oil stopped flowing. It is a practical matter, is it not? I mean, God could only give them the amount of oil. They had containers to hold it. God could only give them what they were prepared to receive. What they believed they'd receive. What they expected to receive. The measure of faith and expectance became the measure of blessing. The measure of faith and expectance became the measure of blessing. My friends, this is the same Lord who asks you and me to pray. And on the battlefields of life, every need, every concern, every burden you or I have, be it for ourselves or another, is like an empty container, empty jar or jug. So is some vision you hold to or Bible promise you cling to. Your prayer is a container and the Lord will fill each up to the brim according to his will and timing, of course, just so the jar is there and ready to receive. So whatever needs exist in your life right now, in your heart or in your home, in in your church, in the life of a friend or a loved one, or for anyone or anything else for that matter, each and every need is like a jar to set before the Lord. He wants to bless us in the measure we're willing to be blessed. So there is simply no reason for a two-bit prayer life, an anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer life. Not when we can keep setting out those jars, our prayers for the Lord to respond to. The man is 70-some years old, and he's aboard ship somewhere on the Atlantic Ocean nearing Canada sometime in the mid-1800s. He walks into the captain's quarters and asks whether or not the ship will be in Quebec by noon on Saturday. There's no way, the captain responds. Uh, We've had this dense fog with us for two days now. It is impossible to reach Quebec by noon on Saturday. Why do you ask? Because, said the man, the Lord has given me an appointment for doing his work in Quebec. And it's for Saturday noon. And in 52 years of ministry, I have never been late for an appointment the Lord has made. So, sir, I want you to understand you're to be in Quebec by Saturday noon, but that is impossible, shot back the captain. Well, then I'll pray, said the man, and before the captain knew it, this strange visitor to his cabin was down on his knees. Lord, the man prayed, I made the appointment because you led me to make it. I even set the time you told me to set, and I cannot believe that after 52 years of serving you, I am to miss an appointment or even be late. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. As the man got to his feet, the captain spoke up. Well, uh, maybe I'd better pray too. Now, that's not necessary, the man said. For one thing, you don't believe He will answer, and for another, I believe he already has. So there's no need for you to pray. And as he stood to his feet, this native German, George Mueller, looked through the window, and the fog was already beginning to lift. And that Saturday, at noon, he stepped off the ship in Quebec on time to keep the appointment the Lord had made for him. Now, when you know you have a God who responds to the prayer of his servant and follower like that, is there any reason why you ought to allow yourself to go on having a two-bit prayer life? An anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer life. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Illinois, we had an incredibly popular senator named Everett McKinley Dirksen. He was the Senate minority leader, and one day, the senator suddenly had a blur in front of his eyes. Working in his Washington, D.C. office, he could not read fine print, and it scared him. He went from one doctor to another and was told, you should go to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore for one final examination, and there, they will undoubtedly want to remove your right eye. So Senator Dirksen made the appointment at Johns Hopkins and he got on a train to go there, but on the train, he prayed. He said, Lord, I want to know what your will is about my eye. If you want them to take it, then you want them to take it. But if you want to heal my right eye and you are perfectly capable of doing that, then tell me and I'm going to keep my eye. Well, after the exam was completed at Johns Hopkins, the eye specialist said, now then, Senator Dirksen, let me tell you what we're going to do. Dirksen interrupted the doctor. J- just, just, just a minute, doctor. Uh, I will not have my right eye removed. You what? I will not have my right eye removed. You see, I had a consultation with another doctor on my way to Baltimore, and he said I could keep my right eye. The Johns Hopkins physician was amazed, but Senator, he protested, that's impossible. What's this other doctor's name? Uh, "The, The great physician in heaven, replied Dirksen. At that, the doctor looked at him and said, oh, I see, you're one of those guys. Yeah, said Senator Dirksen, I'm one of those guys. And to his dying day, Senator Dirksen claimed his right eye was his best eye. You know, we use the expression, seeing is believing. But I heard Senator Dirksen say one time, believing is seeing. (laughs) Now, when you know you've got a God who does stuff like that, is there any reason to allow yourself to ever have a two-bit prayer life? An anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer prayer life. Prayer warriors take note. The Bible says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So there's just no reason for a two-bit prayer life. Not when we can keep setting those jars, those prayers before the Lord for him to respond to. When I was in grade school, the pastor of the church I grew up in Ernie Kratzer told of a day when he was a little boy and their poverty stricken family was in dire straits. They had no food in the house, not a single scrap. His father had died and his mother was too ill to work outside the home. Nonetheless, at dinner time, as they sat together around a table set with empty dishes, Ernie's mom said, Children, let us hold hands and say grace. Little Ernie, fighting back the tears, spoke up. But mama, there is no food. Just the same, she responded. We will ask God to provide and thank him that he will. And she prayed. Several minutes later, as they sat at the table talking and looking at empty dishes, there was a knock at the door. Ernie sprinted to answer. And there stood the next-door neighbors, husband and wife, with smiles on their faces, supper in their hands, and a story about how just a few minutes earlier, they had both felt suddenly and strangely moved to bring dinner over. Well, with a God like that, how how could you or I ever rationalize a two-bit prayer life? an anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer life. Um, I'm not exactly the scientific type, but for some reason, ever since I was a kid, I have been fascinated with George Washington Carver, great American, great scientist. You studied him in school, too. Of the late 1800s and early 1900s, who learned so much about the peanut plant. George Washington Carver had a prayer life. In fact, from the time he was about eight years old and came to know Jesus, every morning he would go out in the woods or the fields for a walk and he would collect specimens for his botanical experiments and studies and all. But as he did so, he would pray and he would talk to the Lord. And then when he was done, he would sit down on a tree stump or a log and he would continue to pray until he had finished his prayer time. Well, in old age, Carter was interviewed by a newspaper reporter who asked him his secret. How were you able to discover so many things? And Carver said, as a young man, I went into my laboratory one day and prayed, great creator, tell me about the universe. The Lord replied, George, you want to know too much. So I prayed, great creator, tell me about the world. Still too much, George. George. George, pick on something your own size. So Carter, who was fairly tall, but a thin little wisp of a guy, he prayed, great creator, tell me about the peanut. And the Lord said, now, George, there you've got something about your size. I'm going to tell you about that. And God told George Washington Carver more about the peanut than anyone had ever known. Throughout his lifetime, he discovered and uncovered 300-some uses for it, from food to medicine to to, to ink to plants uh, and plastics to soap, shampoo, and and cleansers to cosmetics and synthetics, shaving cream and facial cream and, I don't know, axle grease. Why, Carver came up with uses even for the peanut shells. He figured out how to make paper out of them. But don't forget George Washington Carver's most wondrous, glorious invention of all. I mean, where would the world be without peanut butter? (laughs) Thank you, God, for George Washington Carver. But you know what Carver told the reporter that day about his secret? Carver said, I never invented anything. It was God who revealed it to me in answer to my prayers. Day after day, I would go into my laboratory, and then sometimes moment by moment as I worked, and I would just keep praying, God, show me what you want me to find next. And God just kept showing him. Today, men and women throughout the entire earth are still benefiting from the answer to Carver's prayers for the Lord to tell him about the peanut. Now, you know what I'm going to say here, right? With a God that does stuff like that, why are you settling for a two-bit prayer life? An anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer life. Back to George Mueller, you know, the gentleman on the ship headed for Quebec. His name and synonymous now with prevailing, productive, powerful prayer. Famous for his care of orphans. In 19th century England, Mueller began with a handful of children, then over some 70 years caring for 10,000. This marvelous man actually prayed for every need every day. He told no one but God what he needed. And by the way, Mueller kept meticulous records there are something like 50,000 index cards he had in his file of his prayer requests and how God answered them. Why, one morning, Mueller's orphanage had no milk. He prayed for it, and right at breakfast time, with the children already seated around the tables, a dairyman's wagon broke down right in front of the orphanage. Yes, God is in the wagon-breaking-down business. Knowing the milk would spoil, he gave it to Mueller and the children had their breakfast. And that happened just moments, just moments after a baker had showed up explaining God had awakened him at 2 o'clock that morning, told him to get up, bake, and deliver fresh bread to the kids at the orphanage for breakfast. Now, yeah, many of Mueller's prayers were answered the same day. I mean, they had to be. Uh, but some of them not so fast. In fact, George Mueller said that when it comes to prayer, the great fault, that's what he called it, the single great fault of believers is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not persevere. They give up too soon. They assume the answer is no. He said, I have been praying every day for 52 years for the salvation of two men, sons of an old friend. They have not yet come to Christ, but they will. And they did. But it took over 52 years. More than 19,000 days of prayers. You know, I have a sign in my prayer room that says, Always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. That's Luke 18:1. Why, throughout a long lifetime of labor, George Mueller, faithful and faith-filled soldier of Christ who waged war on his knees... Daily and devotedly praying, he just kept setting those jars, those prayers before God, and God kept responding to them and filling them up. Why, over the years, in response to Mueller's prayers of faith, the Lord provided him today's equivalent of $180 million, enabling him to educate 123,500 students throughout the world, single handedly support 189 missionaries, hire 112 Men and women as assistants and pay for the printing of over 85,000 Bibles for evangelistic distribution. And in 1875, at the ripe old age of 70, that's 70, this faith-filled fellow caught a spark for evangelism and set out to preach the gospel around the world. And from the age of 70 to the age of 87, George Mueller traveled over 200,000 miles to 42 countries, preaching to three million people, and in answer to his prayers, he led thousands to Jesus. I'll tell you, you know you know, Lord, you're something else. <laughs> With a God like that, how how can any of us settle for a two-bit prayer life? An anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer life. You know, we've looked at a lot about prayer this weekend. Those of you who have been here the whole weekend, we've looked at a lot about prayer. That the Bible teaches prayer warriors, we must pray with a clean heart and a clear conscience. We must pray not only asking God, but enjoying God. We must pray with sincerity and honesty and intensity. We must pray faithfully and frequently and fervently. We must pray passionately, persistently, patiently. We must pray humbly, thoughtfully, expectantly, specifically, selflessly. We must pray continually and consistently according to God's will and in faith believing, bringing our petitions to God with praise and thanksgiving. But as the Bible tells us in John and James 4, 2, for the most part, we do not have because we do not ask. You know, every once in a while, God will ask, if somebody will ask me about unanswered prayer, what do you do with unanswered prayer? Well, I think that's a fairly simple question to, to handle. The greater concern to me is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. That's the problem. We're just not setting those containers, those jars, before the Lord for him to respond to. I mean, do you ever stop to think how much God has and how generous he is with it? He doesn't have two-bit resources, He wants to fill your container to where it's full and then another jar and another one and another again and again and again. Uh, I love this. Billy Graham said this, Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one bothered to ask. Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one bothered to ask. I mean, I don't know if it works this way, but I would sure hate to arrive in heaven and and discover sitting around somewhere a bunch of answers to prayer with my name on it that I had foregone in life life because I didn't bother to ask. You know, that old song says, What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. (laughs) Mamma mia. Forfeited peace needless pain. Why? Because we're settling for a two-bit prayer life. Well, I know I don't have any good reason for a two-bit prayer life. And of all the personal experiences I could relate, I want to share one of my favorites. I'm going to tell that story you wanted, brother. back at the time when our two girls were still fairly young. In fact, my oldest daughter was 8 years old. She's going to turn 50 in February. (laughs) Um, And uh, Teresa was 8 at the time. But anyway, I had been invited, our family had been invited, to participate in another conference. Then we served a free Methodist church in another conference to lead a church planting project. We prayed about it together as a family and then Noni and I determined this was God's will for us to pursue. So we said yes. And thereon, we started making trips over to the other state and to the city in which we would be starting a new church looking for a home. I mean, we'd always lived in church-owned housing, but now we had to, now we had to buy our own place, and we had never done that before. Uh, eventually, we found a home. Prayerfully, God had guided us to a home, we, we made an offer, we came to an agreement with the owners, and the, the date was set for closing. It's a couple of weeks off. Now, throughout the whole process of hunting and searching for a home, we had been getting together money for a down payment. Remember when you were getting your first home and trying, the down payment was the big mountain to climb. And uh, we, we had some money in savings, we sold some things and got some more money, uh, to be honest. We borrowed most of it off of my parents. And we did pay them back, in case you're wondering about that. And, and uh, uh, we, we had what we needed for the down payment. Uh, and then, well, one day, I was going back over my calculations. Now, I'm not the best at mathematics. And as I went through them, I realized I had made an error in my addition, and we were still $1,000 short of what we needed for the down payment, and it was coming up quickly. Now, when you have pulled together every nickel, dime, and penny you can in the whole wide world, $1,000 might as well have been a million dollars. We had no idea where this money could possibly come from. So that night at supper, I informed my wife and two daughters that uh, I'd made a, a mistake in my arithmetic. They were, they were not surprised. And I said, we are still $1,000 short of what we need uh, in a couple of weeks to make that down payment. So after supper, we held hands around the table, and I prayed something like this. I said, Lord you know, we believe you led us into this church planning project. In fact, we even believe you led us to the house we made an offer on. And, and now we discover we're $1,000 short of the money we need to make the down payment. So please, Lord, provide the other $1,000 or show us what else you have in mind. Well, later that week, Teresa and I, eight years old, remember, were having our weekly breakfast date at the local McDonald's restaurant. McDonald's was having one of their You Deserve a Break Today contests. I don't know if they do this anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, you would get little envelopes with prize slips in them. You could put together a puzzle in a book, or you might get an instant winner. We'd had instant winners. I can't tell you how many small Cokes and small fries we had won. Um, but, but there was some big money there to be had. So we went in that morning. Happened to be the last day of the contest. The, the server brought us our food. The manager who knew us came over and said hi and put some extra tickets on our, the, you deserve a break today, tickets on our tray. We sat down, said grace, and as we began munching on our egg McMuffins, uh, I began opening these and looking at them one at a time. Uh, I recognized most of them. They weren't worth anything. And then I came to one I did not recognize. And I looked at it, and I looked through the book, and it wasn't there, and I flipped the book over on the back, and there it was. And I checked it carefully, and then I said to my daughter, Teresa, I'm not sure, but I think we have just won $1,000. And she looked at me with all the faith a young lady has in her father and said, oh, Dad, You've made a mistake. <laughs> I said, no, no, hon, I w- look at this, please, look at it. And I reached across the table. She didn't even look at it. She remembered first. She said, Dad, we, we, we prayed for a $1,000. Well, a few days later, McDonald's contacted the local newspaper people, and a reporter came out to do a story on it. And we told the reporter the whole story. The church plant, God's call, praying for the money, praying for the thousand dollars. And this is how God had, had chosen to answer. And we told the reporter before he left, we hope your story will tell the whole story about the prayer and God answering. Because without that, you don't really have a story. A couple days later, the story came out in the paper, top half of page three. It's a picture of my daughter and me, and across the top of the page, the headline read, Pastor prays for and gets a break. The, The lead sentence read, God and Ronald McDonald... God and Ronald McDonald teamed up to give the Reverend Thomas Raimondo a break the other day. (laughs) And he concluded his article by suggesting that McDonald's changed their slogan to you deserve a miracle today. And and we agree. In fact, we call that our McMiracle. Um, I'll tell you, with that experience and others like it, No way can I justify a two-bit prayer life. An anemic, half-baked, two-bit prayer life. You too, right? Right? I thought so. Uh, What what needs do you have in your life right now? Uh, The life of another. Someone you care about. Have a burden for. A loved one. Um, Heavy stuff you may be dealing with. Physical, financial... Uh, emotional, uh, job-related, educational. I mean, you know, the list can go on and on. Your burden for, vision for your church and all that it does. What, yeah, what, what kind of needs are there? Do you realize each of those can be turned into a jar, a container, a, a cup, uh, a prayer to set before the Lord for him to respond to? Listen, my friends. The Lord wants to bless us in the measure we're willing to be blessed. We don't have a two-bit God, and he doesn't have two-bit resources, so how about we not settle for a two-bit prayer life? Please stand and bow your heads. Now, as we've done in each of our sessions, we're going we're to go, go on maneuvers. That's how we have concluded each session by putting into practice what we've been talking about. So we're, we're getting set now to go on maneuvers. We're going to be singing the couple verses of the, of the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And as we do so, our, our altar up here is going to be open for prayer for those of you that would like to come, kneel down and set your, your jar Uh, your container, your prayer before the Lord. Um, In my mind's eye, I can see some of you coming with one precious, special prayer concern, very near and dear to your heart. And some of us might come juggling three or four or five of these things uh, because of things going on in our life to set before God and give him the opportunity to respond to. But I do want to encourage you to come and to kneel and to place your concerns before God for him to respond to. And, and then I want to add this to it. If you are coming because of a physical need, you're praying for physical healing in your life or the life of another, I'm going to be down front here and I want to anoint you before you kneel. If you're coming for physical healing, I want to anoint you with oil, and then when you kneel, your pastor is going to come and say a prayer with you. Okay? See, it's time to travel the intercessory bridge to the throne of grace and set some jars before the Lord. So let's, let's sing. And as